We just stepped on their face with a hobnailed boot and broke their nose. One, two, three. Bullshit. Welcome to the Tide Run Sports Podcast. I'm your host, David Thabe, joined by my Dog Nation buddy, Scott the Stat Assassin, and Dr. J. Guys, have you recovered yet? <laughs> no. <laughs> Boy. Not close. Man. Um, this is a podcast. We're going to recap the Peach Bowl and preview the national championship game and Man, is there a lot to talk about. Um, if you're new to the show, please make sure to follow us on your social media apps, uh, Facebook and Twitter, and to subscribe and share this podcast. And we're going to give you some stuff that you're not going to get anywhere else. You're going to want to share this. Okay, guys, we just pulled out one of the best bowl game victories I've ever seen. Uh, I, I think I told, I don't remember if it was you, Scott, or Jonathan, or if it was one of the other guys I talked to. I said, that's probably one of the three best college football games I've ever watched. One and two being in some order the Texas-USC National Championship game from 2005 and the Georgia-Oklahoma Rose Bowl. It's probably the three best college football games I've ever seen. Is that how you guys felt watching this game? If It, it did feel a lot like – I mean, it reminded me of the Rose Bowl um, that we played against Oklahoma. And maybe even there was some graphics on screen about the, uh, the amount of the comeback or the um, maybe the total points scored or something like that. Uh, where they, this game and that game are both in the top five ever FCFP games. So that, I mean, that comparison definitely came to me as well. Um, just also the way everything lined up, I'm sure you've seen, you know, the timing of everything. Like he literally, the final field goal, he literally like kicked it in 2022 and it landed yeah. in 2023. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there were just so many weird things. I mean, we're going to talk about the storylines, um, but I, you'll never forget it. You'll never forget it as long as you know. Um, raise your hand if you expect us to lose that game. Am I the one with my hand raised? There were there were definitely some points in the game where it was like, oh yeah, we really might not win this. But oh, yeah. I I will say, I don't think there was any points where I thought it was over. When CJ Stroud made the twenty seven yard scramble, I said, I don't think we're going to win because I got I got very concerned at that yeah. point. And then they ran the ball in first sure. down, and I was like, never mind, we good. So I mean. Yeah, to, to be clear, I mean, like, before the game, I didn't think we were going to lose it. No, at, no, any, no. at any point during the game, did I think, like, a thousand percent, yes. Yeah, okay. I definitely thought we were going to – it was still 38 to 24, what, maybe, like, a little over 10 minutes left in the fourth yeah. quarter? Eight minutes left. Um, we, we have lost that game so many times before. I mean, the three of us were comparing it on text to, like, other games we played where it just felt like we couldn't stop the other team's quarterback, and this just felt like another one of those. Um, yes, I definitely thought we were going to lose it. Probably, I don't know, at the moment of the Stroud scramble, I thought we were going to lose it. When we stopped him there, and I realized this is going to be from Long 50, goal. Yeah. then then it felt kind of like, all right, this, this really could go either way. Um, in case we don't get back to it, by the way, Dalen Carter literally tackled to the ground on the Stroud scramble, just, just in case we don't get back to it later. Yeah, has their Scott. kicker ever made a 50-yard field goal before? No. 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 Nope. How much room did he have to spare on like the 46-yarder? About four right. yards. It, maybe, <laughs> it was a bullet yeah, from it was barely yeah. there. Um when when we started going fast down inside about the 20-yard line, I said, What are we doing? We're gonna score with like a minute left, and they're gonna come down. We're gonna lose this game 44 to 40. Too. Like I just saw it. Like when Steph threw the touchdown pass, I literally turned to my wife and I said, "We left too much time. We're going to lose this game by two points." 
And part of that's the Larry Munson, Georgia sports fan in me. And I have to remind myself, and I told you all this last year, that we broke the curse in 20 in 2017 or 2018 when Joseph Martinez won the first championship here in Atlanta. And I have to remember that things don't go this way for us anymore. So, yeah, we don't have to live that way anymore. No. That's, that's the past. And what I want to talk to you guys about before we break it, we do a quick break into the game because I do want to get to TCU, but I want to talk about how this felt. And after the game, we won a game that we probably should not have won. Like, I think we could agree. Like, like we, we made plays to win the game, but, like, that was a very unlikely outcome for that game, for us to win it the way we did. Game we probably shouldn't have won. Kirby said as much. And I said to you guys, this is what it's like to be an Alabama fan. <laughs> <laughs> to yeah. find ways to win games where you don't play that well against really good teams. And you still come out with a victory. Is this what it's like to be an Alabama fan? Even down to the referee calls, right? Yeah. We're like, yeah. you know, the, the national audience watching Alabama games, watching Alabama win over and over again, and always feeling like they got a couple that went our way last night. Um, but I can tell you for sure that there are a lot of people nationally that feel that we got the benefit of the doubt on some of those calls. I mean, even down to a detail like that. Um, yeah. Kind of like this is, this must've been what it felt like to, to be in that Alabama dynasty. That's, that's sort of what it feels like right now. And I think even like this time last year, uh, we probably made the point that I think the whole world is pulling for Georgia to beat Alabama. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, I think the whole world is going to be pulling for TCU on Monday. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. People already have Georgia fatigue. You know, yep. I know. Yeah. Yep. And like, just talking, going back to feeling, what was y'all's general feel over about this whole game? Looking at it on this side, like looking back at that game, we talked about what we felt during the game. What was your feeling about the game in general? Go ahead, Scott, you go first. Yeah. I would say the feeling of, as the game's going on, you know, even after the first quarter, or even up to halftime, it was this Ohio state team looks more like the team they were supposed to be this year. Mm-hmm. The Stroud was playing up to the level where people thought he could play. Um, that Ohio State was a better team than the team that played Michigan. Mm-hmm. And that some of the things that you kind of knew needed to happen for them to have a chance, a real chance to win it, were kind of happening. Yeah. Um, one of those was, a you know, they were winning the turnover battle plus one at that point. Sometimes it's just kind of bounces, right? You know, it was a pretty obvious false start on third down that oops didn't get noticed. And then like three plays later, I think, is when you have the scramble around throw to Marvin Harrison touchdown. Blatant false start. Two different players. Yeah. And 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 as usually happens, I'm sure that stuff kind of bounces out over the course. But you know, uh we missed a field goal early. You know, a lot of the little things that are not necessarily so repeatable about the timing of penalties, extending drives when your kickers happen to miss their field goals, which is often pretty random. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when Keely Ringo chases down Marvin Harrison jr. Punches the ball out, but and it goes it's out of bounds. An oblong ball and it goes out of bounds with like three Georgia defenders, mm-hmm. you know, in range. So there was all the little things that happened early and obviously combined with Ohio state, especially Stroud playing well offensively. That led to them having a lead. Jay? You know, yeah, feeling-wise, and this will probably be no surprise coming from me, uh, it was hard for me not to feel like at some point fairly early in the game, this is going to come down to Stetson Bennett, <laughs> right? When, like, yeah. When, yeah. When, when so early on, 
Like we were not getting any stops. Like Harrison was just all over the field. Stroud was scrambling around. We couldn't hit him. It just felt like, okay, we're not going to win with defense tonight. Like that's, that's not, that's not what's going to happen. <laughs> it was very clear. <laughs> and then, you know, in terms of our offensive skill, you know, it's like, we've got a running back getting a good carry here and there. We've got a receiver coming up with a big third down catch here or there, but like nobody's dominating. Nobody's going to get, have a 200 yard night in terms of a receiver or a running back. And it just started to feel like, okay, like this is either going to be good stat or it's going to be bad stat. And that's, that's going to be the feeling right now, whether or not that's true, uh, you know, is up for debate, I guess. But I mean, I, I had that feeling early in the game and I think even after the game, I mean, that, that kind of holds up. I mean, how do you, how, how do you reflect on this game and how you felt uh, without mostly thinking about when Stetson was playing good, how you felt and when Stetson was playing bad, how you felt. The one thing I'll say, too, is to hear people talk about the game now, people have said, oh, Sesson was terrible for three quarters and then great in the not. fourth quarter. Yeah, not true. And, and he was not. In the first quarter, he, for the most part, played really well. Yeah. He made one very bad decision, yes, yes, not handing it to McIntosh for an easy touchdown. They turned it to a long field goal attempt that was a miss. Mm-hmm. That gets highlighted because it was super impactful. But in general, down to down, he was playing well. Second and third quarters, really more the third quarter. The second quarter, you still, you know, were scoring points. The third quarter was not a very good quarter. So it was like, okay, what was so bad about the third quarter? Uh, Two third down sacks. Yeah. So, like, that's not as terrible as it's made out to be. Like, he didn't play great. One of those plays, I think there was a guy open, and he goes to throw. Defense lineman gets his hands up. He has Mm -hmm. to kind of pull it down nowhere to go other teams make plays too like yeah t- playing Especially terrible would have been him pulling the ball down and then trying to fit it in that window late and throwing a pick six that would have been terrible I, I don't think he was good in the third quarter but yeah how up and down he was his being a little bit overblown from the stuff i've heard what's not overblown is how good he was in the fourth quarter 10 to 12 190 and two touchdowns <laughs> that is stupid. oh yeah it was that is ridiculous stupid. and there were some passes, like the one right down the hash marks to Brock Bowers. Yeah, that um, NFL. Throw. I don't. I don't think he should have thrown that. <laughs> <laughs> it worked out. That I don't know how repeatable that, that throw side of one defender who was cutting under that ball, or did it go under his armpit? Like you can't even tell. So, but yeah, in the fourth quarter, you know, absolutely, just was spot on, uh, which obviously was the same way in the fourth quarter against Bam. Bam, on the on the final touchdown drive, the, the three big ones, the one to Bowers, basically right in the middle. I mean, he even kind of changes arm angle on that a little bit. Yeah, uh, barely gets it out before the sack, and and just right in between two or maybe even three defenders. Then the one down the score, he's even made his break to the corner of the end zone. All three, three of those, I mean, big big time throws. Just, yeah. I mean, all all you could ask for. All right, so. Before we get into what actually happened in the game, I want can we break down a few false narratives about what did not happen in this game? And Scott, you kind of already started with it about Stetson Bennett's play. Scott, I love what you put in here about injuries. <laughs> we had injuries too. Coming into the game, we had injuries. And we had injuries in the game. And apparently, Georgia's injuries never count, only the team that we beat. And it was the same way people used to do this with Bama too. I mean, it's just pure saltiness. Yeah, and a, a big part of it is when you are recruiting at the level that like Georgia and Alabama do, and, and Ohio State too, um, 
you have a lot of depth where the backups come in and play well so it doesn't get noticed. People yeah. are like, oh, well, that injury doesn't count because their backup played fine. Like, oh, okay, yeah, sure. We'll just pretend like we weren't playing without our right tackle who got hurt in the championship game when Ohio State was at home resting. That doesn't count mm. because our backup was good and ready to play. Yeah. And was it Mims? Well, it was Mims, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mims playing for McClendon. Um, but I'm sure if Ohio State's right tackle got hurt and, you know, you get like two more sacks on C.J. Stroud, then that's why we won because we were lucky their right tackle got hurt. Um, and, you know, Ohio State certainly has some parts of their team that are incredibly deep and insane injuries, right? Why Jackson receiver? Smith and Jigba was, you know, played almost none all year. Yeah. And you still have Marvin Harrison Jr. <laughs> so and dumb. Emeka Egbuka and Julian Fleming and lots of just – Big time, big time recruits. Julian Fleming was like the number five player in his class a couple years ago, mm-hmm. and he's their fourth best wide receiver. Like, yeah, that's it's pretty wild. And that's you dumb. know, a lot has been made about their tight end getting hurt fairly early in the game. Yeah, um, has anybody watched Georgia at all this year? <laughs> well, he's a little tight end. Yeah, they're like the whole thing about Georgia's offense is. You have a guy that runs like a tight end but happens to be 290 pounds, so you can run 12 on everybody all day long, and you're automatically in conflict no matter what personnel you put out there. That's like the whole offense. What are we, like 60 or 65% of the time in 12? 59. Yeah, and in the first quarter, there goes Darnell Washington. And guess what? Even with the best tight end room in the nation probably, you don't have a replacement for Darnell Washington. Because he's Darnell Washington, and no. guys that big play tackle. No, no. Right? And, and further to your point, like yeah, Delp came in and played well. I mean, he did. It was he better did. than I could have hoped. Right. Yeah, but like one of the reasons that people like I know Ryan Day said this, but like we mentioned this in the preview that they run one personnel grouping essentially. They stay in eleven personnel, and the key to that is Stover's versatility. So Stover's backup is really more like a true fullback. He's not really a tight end. And so that limited some of what they can do, which is why it was significant. But again, yeah. it's no more significant than using Darnell Washington, who yeah, it's, is it's not as significant as Darnell Washington because Darnell is better. Yes. Right. Yes. Now, losing Harrison was yeah, does that have an effect in the game? Absolutely does. Because losing good players has an effect in the game. Just like losing Robert Bill and Chaz Chandless in the fourth quarter, you could argue that has an effect on our ability to pressure CJ Stroud. And I mean Michael Williams got hurt in got the third hurt or fourth too. quarter. I, if you watch on, I think it was the the late twenty seven yard scramble in the fourth quarter, and you watch him, he takes like two steps chasing towards CJ Stroud, and it's just limping, like he just can't run. Well, and right? I mean, not not to mention never having Nolan Smith in the first place. Yeah, I mean our our our, our best solution uh, for stopping Marvin Harrison was getting to CJ Stroud, yeah. or at least keeping CJ Stroud in the pocket. Uh, two things that Nolan Smith would have been able to do better than anybody else we had on the edge. Right, right. Yeah, and you had a lot of times where we didn't have the speed on the field Mm -hmm. to close on Stroud. Stroud's Mm -hmm. not like a four or five guy, like some like elite running quarterback, but he's fast enough that you're not catching him with your 300-pound guys. Right. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And having Nolan out there when Nolan's the guy who's the mush rush, the soft spy, or like an actual spy – well, guess what? He's a legit serious four or five guy. Yeah. And he's gonna chase CJ Stroud down real fast. And, and that's not gonna close on him, but at right. least force a throw. Like yes. Were there were there any throwaways in this game? Did he throw the way the ball away once? 
I think so. There might have been a throwaway, but I can't even tell you that for sure. But like, there's one play in particular I'm thinking of where he's rolling to his left and Jalen Carter is chasing him. And Jalen Carter, who is a great athlete, isn't closing any ground. And like you said, it's just, it's just different. And this leads into several of the things that we did get right for this game before we move on to talking about TCU. Things that we did get right. And we said this, CJ Stroud would have to make plays with his legs. And he did like 34, I think, rushing yards he had, but that counts sack yardage. I think on actual carries, he ended up carrying for like 50 yards on actual I carries. But let's try that again. Um, so on actual carries, I think he had somewhere around 50 yards. I couldn't find the official numbers. Uh, what did you do? You know what that? You know what those numbers were, Scott? I, I saw it as, as 70 somewhere on just. Oh, was that rushing. high? Wow. Okay. Significant, right? Yeah. Uh, Brock Bowers was playing through flu or whatever, right? But that doesn't count. You know, Lad McConkey was barely part of the game and limping around a bunch. Mm-hmm. That doesn't count. Yeah. Yeah. You know. And among the things we got right, Stroud had to win with his legs. He did exactly what you said, Scott. You you said specifically. You said. The difference in this game is, will he make two or three scrambles for first downs that extend drives or matter late in the, matter at some key point in the game? And it's precisely what he did. We're playing man. We're not spying him because that's not part of the game plan. Twice we turn our backs and he scrambles for 20-plus yard runs. One in the most important time of the game at the end, he takes off for 27 yards. No one even looks because it's not part of what you game plan for. We also are right in saying that we would score on them. We scored mm-hmm. 42 points, and we knew we were going to score on them. We all said that, like, this game is going to – we're going to score. I did not think they would score 41. If you had told me they scored 41, I would have said, I pray Stetson Bennett had the game of his life, and maybe we scored 49. And, and I think if Stroud isn't making plays with his legs like he did mm-hmm. – they're not scoring that many points, and this game is like 42-30. Yeah, and, right? and, and to that point, let's get rid of another false narrative that Keely Ringo got carved up by Marvin Harrison. Marvin Harrison scored two touchdowns where Keely Ringo was in coverage for over seven seconds. I'm sorry, not even Deion Sanders on steroids can cover for seven seconds. That's not a real thing. Well, and and one of those wasn't on Keely. One of those Starks was, was in Starks, coverage. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but, but even then, yeah. Keely Ringo after the second one just puts his hands up and he's like, guys, like I can't cover for this long. It's just Marvin Harrison played great. Don't get me wrong. But like this idea that he carved up Keeler Ringo, that's not accurate. Now, on the other hand, Kamari Lasseter, it's a different story. (laughs) He had a rough night. Yeah. I mean, mostly it was just that Harrison was just getting open. Yeah. Period. And also being, you know, a very smart receiver raised by a hall of fame receiver yeah does all the little things right such as staying active and getting open in scramble drill yeah. scenarios right yeah and so yeah like you're mentioning that's we were, not so much on the defensive back no no and we were and we were right about how they would attack us i said that they're not gonna be throwing go balls down the sideline they did like we said throw a couple i think they got one a pi on keely ringo for one of them which we said would happen but as we talked about they attacked the middle of the field. And what did they kill us on? That deep over route. I call it the Tyreek Hill route because that's the route he ran for so many touchdowns in in uh, Kansas City. They, they did a lot of the like short roll play action kind of stuff, yeah. which, by the way, is very, very good for like your protection schemes, right? 
Mm-hmm. Half roll, cr- cr- receiver crossing the field. You're chasing, chasing, chasing. The safeties can't necessarily help. And Shroud has the arm and accuracy to throw dots. I mean, I swear they hit that route three or four times in a row, and I thought they were showing a replay of the same play between Ibuka, uh, Ibuka and uh, Julian Fleming. Yeah, and, and the times they ran that and we got pressure right up the middle, that he moved around and made people miss. So we got a lot of stuff right. Some of the stuff I wish I hadn't been right about, like how we weren't as effective pressuring Stroud as people probably thought we were going to be. And we got him on the ground three times, which is the most this season. But we talked about how he made plays with his legs. We weren't able to get him down on those key plays it, in the first half. We had we had 19 pressures. Was I that the, the number? Previous, okay. Yeah, I think the previous season high was like 12 or something. Yeah. So not quite doubling up the previous high, but yeah, a, a lot more pressure than people realize, which is yeah. why I give Stroud a lot of credit for how well he played in that. Yeah. Um, one other takeaway, CJ Stroud, baller. And if you heard his post-game interview, it was extraordinarily impressive. Extraordinarily impressive. Between him and Bryce Young, I can't wait till they leave college football so that I can root for whatever NFL team they go to. Because if those guys played for any of the teams besides Alabama, Ohio State, or Florida, they'd probably be my favorite college football players. Because those guys are nothing but class acts. And it's hard for me to believe if you listen to Ryan Day that he was ever on a staff with Urban Meyer because he comes across as extraordinarily not douchey, which makes me wonder how he's an Urban Meyer understudy. <laughs> so he was he was a Chip Kelly understudy. Oh, that then got okay. Hired by Urban okay. Meyer. Okay. And David, you uh, you just made a really good uh, post about this on Facebook, comparing the numbers uh, between Stett and CJ Stroud in this game, which are almost identical. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the narrative out of this game is is how well CJ Stroud played. And that's, game of his that's life. Just, that's that's justifiably so. It was literally the game of, of Stetson's life as well. And one of the things I think that's going to be forgotten um, is that we came back in this game not once but twice. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, two, two different times we really could have been on the mat and many previous Georgia teams would have mm-hmm. been on the mat. Um, and we weren't. We, we came back uh, in the first half and in the second half. Yeah. And, you know, again, I mean, I know this will be the case for me. I think for most – people who watch that game if you look back and you're remembering you know what it was uh that was the lasting impression of that game i mean i think it's going to be stetson bennett he was he was the only player on george's team that played the game of their life uh arian smith he had he had the best play of his life there's there's no doubt about that i mean Um, who was who was the leading receiver in this game for both teams arian smith had led both teams Hmm. Led both teams in receiving yards, even more than Morrison Harrison Jr., which nobody's talking about. He's so fast that the Ohio State defensive back actually literally pissed down his leg. The sideline camera angle of that play, it's terrifying because the cushion is just gone. Like, the play starts, and that DB is like, oh, no. Yeah, yeah. So much because he's just that fast. But, like, this is a 10 100 meter guy, right? Yeah, his world class speed. Right. Yeah, that guy fell over because it was like, oh, no, I turned. I need to turn now. And my feet are not where they are supposed to be. And this guy is leaving me. But the guy, it, it, that's exactly right. It, it wasn't a fluke that he happened to fall on that play. That guy fell over because he's never defended anybody that fast in his life. That is, that is why he fell over. And we talked about this, but I said, Beware Ohio State safeties in man coverage. Mm-hmm. I just and it we we didn't get them a lot, but we got them enough. 
And I told you Latham Ransom was one of the ones to pick on. All right. So yeah, we didn't have a chance to get him with Darnell, which would have been fun, but no, I mean, we didn't get the tight end matchups that I thought. And the one other thing that needs to be pointed out before we move on to the TCU game is we all thought we'd be able to run the ball in Ohio state. We did on direct handoffs, 17 for 155. It's over nine yards a carry. However, when you trail most of the first half and most of the second half, it's kind of hard to, to make your running game as effective as can be. So we've had a lot of technical issues, y'all. So we apologize if this is a little glitchy. Dr. J, you got to sign off for the night. So we'll cover TCU without you. But uh, tell tell the Dog Nation your final thoughts on the TCU game before you sign off. I mean, we're, we're heavy favorites for a reason. Uh, certainly, we got some injuries to contend with. Uh, so does TCU. Um, again, I, it does feel to me like the whole world is going to be pulling for TCU and, yeah. uh, and, and, and I'm okay with that. I've, I think we've earned that reputation. Um, but, uh, listen, a chance to do something, uh, truly historic and, and in a manner that just almost none of us could have predicted, uh, at the beginning of, of last season. So, um, here we go. I'll be watching Monday. Go dogs. Go dogs. All right, Jay. Thank you for stopping, stopping in, man. So, Scott, TCU, we're already starting off as a two-touchdown favorite. I don't know if that line's moved much. It was about 13 or 13 and a half. I think as of right now, it still is. It will probably change depending on what the injury information is, which, you know, obviously we don't know very much. Kirby was, for some reason, ironically, uh, uncharacteristically optimistic about Darnell Washington playing. So, that's <laughs> just I'm not used to that. Did, did you see my note on that, which means uh, Kirby is lying? <laughs> <laughs> um they did say that it wasn't an ankle sprain and that's yeah, why he yeah, said he was optimistic why, yeah. because obviously if it's a high ankle sprain zero chance of him playing yes if it's a quote normal ankle sprain some a one a one week turnaround is not can like be a, dicey yeah and when you're a 290 pound skill player it's just kind of like hey man if if you're betting on somebody that big one week on an ankle like don't put your money on him playing, yeah. right? If it's not an ankle, which allegedly it's not, now we get into the territory of, oh, hey, wait a minute. He might be able to play and contribute. Yeah. Is he going to be 100%? No. no. Is he going to play the same number of plays as Brock Bowers the no. way they normally do it? No. But you're going to get, you know, 20 plays of him, 15 in the run game, and he's going to get to give you some of that blocking that you just can't replace. We'll have to see, but – we can start talking a little bit about TCU, who obviously beat Michigan in a very fun, very exciting, very high-scoring game. Uh, not as clean of a game as the Georgia-Ohio State game, where there was one turnover in that game. There was six total turnovers, three each in the other playoff game. Yeah, and as a Michigan fan, I told this – I can't remember if I said it to you or I think it's my buddy Matt. I said, you know, TCU is probably going to win this game, but – I think Michigan's a better team. You spotted TCU 21 points, uh, arguably. Two pick sixes, a fumble at the one-yard line on a play that probably should have been a touchdown. I mean, and you got nothing on the first drive of the game inside the inside the three-yard line. I mean, at minimum, that's just two touchdowns and two field goals you can take that you – I mean, and TCU to their to credit took advantage of it. Yeah, I'll say on the turnovers, both teams had three turnovers that led to 14 points. So okay, that's fair. The, while two of them were extremely direct, yeah. Um, in in the end, that does 
the turnover battle and points off turnovers does kind of being a push. That being said, that early series where you go Philly special at the goal line, which this is not a Michigan pod, we won't get into that. <clears throat> but yeah, that and you know the, I guess not a touchdown at the one half yeah, yard that line was or a huge call. Yeah. I mean a huge call. But yeah, the the one thing I will say for TCU, um, if you're talking about which team is the better team, I think Michigan was the better team, like results wise, all year than TCU. The one thing I'll give TCU a little bit of credit for, though, they may be a more well-rounded team than Michigan. They can win more different ways. Yeah, yeah. because Michigan, you know, Joe Moore Award for some reason, we'll offensive line. Yeah, <laughs> um, and they're trying to run the ball, and they'll make a few plays in the passing game. Yeah, TCU is you have enlisted a true spread offense. Um, they're very much a spread offense but they're the kind that's going to be physical in the run game and stay fairly balanced. So Sonny Dyke started at Kentucky with Hal Mummy and then coached under Mike Leach at Texas Tech. So that's like, you know, hardcore old school air raid. But the offensive coordinator is Garrett Riley, brother of Lincoln Riley, our and a lot of counter. And while it's spread and puts up big points and slings the ball down the field, it's physical smash mouth inside the tackles at the line of scrimmage. Scott, one of the things that I think all year people have kind of felt like TCU was just a circumstantial undefeated team. Like we talked about some of the luck they've had with injuries. They're very rarely impressive in the way they win. They've trailed in almost every game they played this year. I think they trailed in every conference game they played this year, except for Iowa State. They would have trailed at the beginning of the uh, CFP game had Michigan taken a field goal. So they don't have a style of play that's very conducive to being an undefeated team playing for a national championship. But it's when a team is that consistently consistent in how they win, at some point you just have to throw that out and say, this is just how they play. This is just who they are. And it shouldn't be a formula for success, yet it has been. And I think I said undefeated. They were not an undefeated team, but undefeated regular season. Yeah, you know, they weren't dominant game in, game out. Mm -mm. I think coming into the playoff, they had played six one-score games. And the other three playoff contestants had played like one total one score game or something. So, and what we have seen in the past is even in the BCS era, but when you had teams make it to the BCS title game or teams make it to the playoffs and they're that, hey, we squeaked out a lot of close wins, uh, they do not win the whole thing. And usually they get blown up, right? And thinking about like, the Manti Teo Notre Dame team. Think about the Florida State team the year after they won it. 2015. You know, those the only exception of to that is, tw- is 2002 Ohio State. That's the only yep. one who, it's the only one. And we know all the goofy, weird circumstances in that game. Wilson McGay, he tears up his leg. They have five turnovers. Uh, they get a very questionable, <clears throat> bad pass interference call to extend the game. So it took all those things for them to lose that game for Ohio State to beat Miami in overtime. But if there's one thing that you would say TCU is really good at, do we agree it's they score? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They are a legitimately good offense, 41 points a game, one of the best offenses in the country, average about 269 in the air, about 204 on the ground. I don't think people realize they actually average more rushing yards per game than Georgia. Part of it is they run their quarterback a lot more. They have scored on everybody. Like they have scored points on everybody. They haven't had any 26, yeah, 22 games. Texas. Okay, that's right. That was a 17 10 game, wasn't it? Something like that. Okay. Yeah. 
maybe. So yeah. I take that back. But they've scored on just about everybody. And that includes a Michigan defense that just held Ohio State to 23 points. The more I look at that, and I've watched that game twice, I'm like, how did Michigan hold them to 23 points? Uh, Stroud's <laughs> never been what he was as far as moving around yeah. in games against anybody else, right? And they were healthier for that game than they were against us. That's just, like, amazing to me. But um, they're going to score. Will they score like Ohio State? I would like to think not. Their personnel is not as good. But their personnel is good. And they have Kendry Miller, who is a real deal NFL running back. I watched his highlights today, and I swear he scored a 50-yard touchdown in every game. On the season, he's got 1,399 yards, 17 touchdowns. If he doesn't play because he's a little banged up, uh, DeMarcado, their backup, is really good also. Now, is that going to matter in this game for us? No, because people can't run the ball on us. <laughs> yeah, well, and I think it does matter, though, if you have just one guy versus if you have two guys. That is Because fair. if you have yeah. two guys, they stay fresh, and if it's a close game late, you're fresher at running back, and sometimes, you know, if it's a close game, that's falling forward to convert a third down, right? Um, also... I haven't caught every game of TCU this year, um, so I haven't seen the backup running back a ton. It, his pass protection was, oof, not really? great against okay. Michigan. Okay, yeah. I didn't notice that. So that may be something where hurts in there. It, maybe if he's the starter, he's more locked in, and it's not a problem. You know, it, it's something I'll be paying attention to. A little detail, just you know, curious about. They score forty-one a game. Miller's a really good running back. Demarcado, the backup's a really good running back. Their wide receivers are good, but not OSU good because nobody's wide receivers are OSU good. Nobody's. But, yeah, um, they have they have one first round wide receiver. Yes, Quentin Johnston. Yeah, but and he's got a chance to be the first wide receiver taken in this draft. I don't know if he will, but he's got a chance. Um, and he's six four, long limb, smooth route runner. His he reminds me more of like a Justin Jefferson type of receiver, but just a little taller. Like he's not a pure route to hands guy, but he's not a pure like contested jump ball guy. He kind of does a little bit of everything. That's why I said he's more like a Justin Jefferson type, and that's high praise. I'm not saying he's gonna be Justin Jefferson, but is he is he taller Sammy Watkins? I don't think he runs quite as well as Sammy Watkins. Yeah, um, I mean, bigger Sammy Watkins. He's yeah, not quite as fast. Yeah, but, but he's he's a big physical dude. He's definitely he's got good ball skills. Yeah, and. He's not Marvin Harrison good, but they got a couple other guys worth noting here. Darius Davis has, like, whoa speed. He's a 10-6, 100-guy, 4-3. And, like, he's got some touchdowns that, like, are Tyreek Hill type of plays. What Tyreek Hill looked like in college. It, it They're kind of like, oh, crap. Georgia has, like he, – he's not quite like Devin A. Chain, Aaron S Smith fast. He's just a notch below that, though. And then Tay Barber, who's uh, – and, uh, by the way, Darius Davis, I think, is number 10 or number 11. I can't remember which one. And then I think it's number 11. And Tay Barber is another one, number four. He's another speed wide receiver. They're not OSU, but they're kind of guys that if you miss a tackle, it's house. I mean, yeah. in a hurry. It's house yeah. in a hurry. And um, their OL veterans got some transfers. They do have one All-American offensive lineman at left guard. His name escapes me at the moment. Their offensive line is good. I don't know if they're better or worse than Ohio State's line. I'd probably say they're comparable. Um, and having said that, while TCU is good on offense, on defense, they gave up 25 points a game, and while they do stop people, everybody scores on them. <laughs> everybody mm -hmm. scores on them. Um, 
And so I had to spend some time watching. And Scott, you already talked a little bit about the offense and how it's a true spread offense, you know, how mummy disciple, uh, Mike Leach disciple, but they also run the ball and they run the ball physically on defense. They're in that three, three, five Gary Patterson ran it for years, years and years there. They're one of the schools. That's the best at it. They are built to stop the spread. They're built to stop the spread. And in our case, you'd put in here what has been termed the man ball spread, which is what people are calling our offense now, because you have people calling like the old Alabama style of play man ball. And, you know, what we're doing now, they're calling the man ball spread. Uh, but to give you a quick overview of their scheme, and Scott, jump in at any point, three three five is going to look a lot different than what Ohio State did. They want to play a three high look at all times, where Ohio State wanted to play a one high look. And what you're going to see out of them is going to look very, very similar to what you saw out of Mississippi State. So if you want to go back and watch that Mississippi State game, that gives you a very good approximation of what this scheme is going to look like. Against 12 personnel, what you're going to do is see them walk a safety up or a linebacker up to the outside of the formation and play with two inside backers in the box and two high safeties. So Georgia's going to see two high safeties generally at all time. What they want to do is play three high safeties, but they generally only do this against four wide receiver looks, which Georgia has not run a single time this year. So, Scott, before I continue boring people with more of the X and O's, uh, what was your impression of this defense that gave up 528 yards to Michigan and somehow still managed to pull off a win? Three turnovers helps. Uh, gave up 342 yards passing to Michigan and 186 yards on the ground. Although that rushing total is deceptive, and I'll talk about that in a second. What was your impression, Scott? Yeah, so I think a lot of people thought that the Michigan offensive line, the Joe Moore Award winners, were going to be able to just push TCU around. Three three five is known for being, as they say, light in the pants. <laughs> you know, three four or four three, both of those give you seven front seven guys. Three three five gives you six. six. Yeah. So you're just not as big. Uh, so that's what people kind of thought was going to happen. That really didn't happen. Um, no, it and, did not. And also what I saw a lot of was TCU just playing sound fundamental football, like guys doing their job, filling their gaps, what they're supposed to do. That very first play of the game, uh, I think the linebacker that was supposed to be in that gap just comes like flying up, just hit somebody yeah. and just, I, I don't know, just blows up the fullback or whatever, but then he's yeah. not where he's supposed to be. That's actually what happened. That play is ISO. So the fullback is isolating on the play side linebacker and the guard or center, I can't remember which one, climbed to the next linebacker. And then there was just no one else there, mm -hmm. which is unusual because typically in that defense, you're always too high. What happened was they had formationed one of the high safeties out of the box. He comes in and that play dies, missed the tackle. And I, before you go on, Scott, I want to highlight that play. Don Edwards starts the game with a 54-yard run. On straight handoffs, Michigan on the day was 30 for 134 and two touchdowns. That's include, that includes that 54-yard run. When right. you take out that run, they netted 80 yards on the remaining 29 carries. That's less than three yards per carry. That is not good. And I try to tell people this because I watch Michigan football. Blake Corm is a much better running back than Donovan Edwards. However, because Edwards has had those long runs, it's inflated his numbers artificially to make people think that he's played really well when really when you watch him like I do, you know that he doesn't make a lot of successful runs. And that got exposed in this game. TCU's linebackers were great at shedding blocks, 
Part of that being that in the 3-3-5, even though typically it's a light defense, as you mentioned, Scott, it allows you to play with heavier linebackers, the kind of backers that Georgia and Alabama were recruiting five or six years ago that they don't recruit anymore. Guys that are 240 and thumpers, they're letting those guys play in this defense because they are all responsible for only one gap in the front, and they're not asked to play the edge because their alley players and their overhang players are the safeties. And so that allows you to get bigger, slower, heavy thumpers at linebacker. And those guys are good at shedding blocks. And that's what you saw is that Michigan's offensive line, which, as you said, probably overrated, was able to was not able to lock on blocks with those second level defenders. And the result was a lot of two and three yard runs that over the course of the game resulted in Michigan not being super effective running the ball. Their most success came from quarterback runs, which is another thing to remember moving forward in this game. Scott. Do you agree that they probably have a better secondary than anybody we've seen this year? Is that fair to say? Oh, they're definitely in the running. Um, did we play a lot of like really elite secondaries? I don't feel I, like we did. Yeah, none are coming to mind right away. They definitely got some dudes that can play. Um, what's the five nine guy whose name all of a sudden I can't Ray remember? Ray Hodges Tomlinson is the headliner. This is Thorpe yeah. Warner. Um, yeah, he's, and he's a guy that is not considered some like super high first round pick mm-hmm, guy no. because he's five nine. Yeah, um, but we're not playing NFL draft against them. We're mm-hmm. playing a college football game. He's a really good football player. Yeah, and so yeah, I, if they're not definitely the best secondary we've played, they have a, a very good argument. So, and I personally think their safeties are. Not significant, but a fair bit better than Ohio State's safeties. Um, Bud Clark leads the team with five interceptions. As a team, they have four pick sixes, two against Michigan on Saturday. They will not get their safeties in the box as much when they spin their safeties down. They won't do like Ohio State does and put them in there as linebackers so that they can miss tackles on Kendall Milton and Dejon Edwards. They'll spin them to the outside as overhang defenders, and they won't play nearly as much zero as Ohio State did so that their safeties can fall down when they're trying to cover Aaron Smith. You won't see nearly as much of those two things. Um, and as and those, where they'll get in trouble is if Darnell Washington is healthy mm-hmm. enough to play and all of a sudden our 12 personnel is bigger than most 12 personnels while their three three five is smaller, it, that could be a bad matchup for them. If Darnell is healthy. Now, granted, people thought Michigan offensive line is going to be a bad matchup for them too. Right. So take it for what it's worth. We'll see how it plays out. Uh, I think it would play out a little bit more uh, to chalk in this scenario, but we will have to see. Has anybody stopped us from running the ball this year, Scott? No. And has anybody found a good set of personnel that really causes us problems with the 12? Because it's not even all about running the ball out of the 12, right? It's about right. them having to get, uh, you know, guys out there to play the run, getting that personnel. And then we're like, yeah, let's go four wide with these guys. Or, and again, you know. And again, I want to specify the run because one of the things that I'm hoping that did not happen against Ohio state is that we can limit their possessions, which we did not do against Ohio state because when you are trailing you, you know, 14, in the first half, 11 in the second half, you are not able to run the ball and limit possessions. It's one of the things we'd hoped we'd be able to do that we weren't able to do. 
And out of those linebackers, uh, D. Winters, number 13, is the one who balled out against Michigan with seven tackles, three tackles for loss, mm-hmm. and pick six. They have the one white kid whose name escapes me at the moment. He's a transfer. And, and one of the things that is hard about the 3-3-5 three, 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 is that because you always have those three inside backers stacked in the box, you have a hard time running your gap scheme plays because most gap scheme plays are designed to account for two or three guys on one side of the front and then two linebackers on that side. So you generally design your scheme to the play side to count for four or five. The problem is with this defense is you always have a backside inside backer who's free to run to the ball. So as you put in play action or the other question would be RPO, this offense should be susceptible to the RPO, but the reason that it's, excuse me, this defense should be susceptible to RPOs, but the reason it's not is because you get those safeties down on the RPO players your bubbles to running backs and wide receivers. And those safeties are good tacklers, which theirs are. Those plays are two and three yard plays and not 15, 20 yard plays. And so, so this, this is, this defense does has its weak, have its weaknesses. RPOs are hard. It's not really designed. It's what you should do to attack this team. It's not great. What I'll, what I think we'll see is a lot of condensed formations mm-hmm. and then wide run or yeah. play action off of that. That's what I think we'll see a lot of. And, and we've done a lot of that at mm-hmm. times, right? Mm-hmm. Is go you know, the condensed yep. formation and then like quick tosses mm-hmm. or things of that nature, especially because sometimes we might go condensed and you have Brock and Darnell to the same side. Because and then you toss the, it or, or do you, you know, your jet sweep game stuff like yes, that? Yes, yes. Because when you go into a condensed bunch formation with Brock and Darnell or whoever your two tight ends are in a receiver, what happens is the guys they're putting over that bunch aren't their heavies they're putting a safety in a corner into that bunch. So now you've got Darnell and Brock blocking a safety in a corner, and you're making those thumpers that outside linebacker have to scrape over the top to get there, which is right. what they are not personnel to do. And so Munkin's way smarter than me. I'm just saying that's a way I could see you attack them. I do think that uh, Hodges Tomlinson is a legit lockdown corner, which I don't know that we've seen this year. He gets his hands on the ball a lot. A lot. Right. He's got what, like 14 passes Pass defended yeah, or something like this? Yeah, yeah, he does. Um, that's a lot. It's definitely a scenario where you're like, hey, I could see a risky Stetson throw or two. And yeah, yeah. And like you said, the one he threw the other day was bad and he threw some dimes after that. But all in all, this is the defense that we're going to score on. This is an offense that will score on us. To what extent is the question? So, Scott, let me ask you this. We're giving them the X and O's. What do you think about TCU in this game? How do you think this game plays out? I think this is probably one of those games where you see the top-to-bottom talent difference Mm. show up a good coach team. I think their offense is really, really good. They have, you know, real top-notch players at all the impact positions on offense quarterback, running back, wide receiver, really veteran offensive line, good coaching, they're going to score points. What they maybe don't have is quite the same depth as mm-hmm. the really, really top talented teams. So when guys are nicked up on, you have a random freshman in there and an important series late in the third quarter, that kind of stuff kind of feels like one of those, I don't know, like 20 to 17 games at half and then mm-hmm you know, ends up being 10 or 14 point 
margin in the end. And to your point, this happened to us the other day. Michael Williams, the number one player in the country, who's played a lot for us this year, gets hurt. We bring in Marvin Jones Jr., who's what, like the number five edge player in the country behind him? There there were big third downs in the third and fourth quarter where everybody with their hand down was a true freshman. Is that is that really is that the case? I did not notice yeah, that. Yeah, not not on purpose. Yeah, but just because guys were hurt, and so you had like Jalen Walker, Marvin Jones Jr., Bear Alexander, Michael Williams. You know, because every everybody was getting hurt. You're just like throwing guys out there. You only have so many bodies. And on offense, um, on the other side, you lose Darnell Washington, the number one tight end in the country three years ago, and you're placing him with like the number two tight end in the country this year, and Oscar Delp, and essentially don't miss a beat on offense and. It's like you're saying, like, they're a team that is transfer built openly so. I think with 13 transfers on their two deep, they don't have that depth built up. They were not a good team last year. Um, but before we get off here, I can't, we can't end this podcast without talking about maybe the biggest playmaker on their team. And that is my second favorite quarterback in the college football playoff. Mad Max Duggan. Yeah, Max Duggan is great. He's a ton of fun to watch. A lot of fun to watch. And you have, you know, we have a listed here that he was a four-star guy out of high school, so it wasn't like a nobody recruit. I did not know that. He he was also kind of like a lower four-star recruit. There's mm-hmm. a wide range of four-star recruit, right? There's four-star like there's Roquan Smith four-star recruit where they're like, well, he won't be a first rounder because the NFL only drafts running or linebackers that weigh 240 in the first round. So we'll make him like the number 40 player. Max Duggan was more like, I don't know, the 300th ranked player or something. Yeah, like I think this. he was, I think he was like in the 280s or somewhere, 260s. Yeah, that's which, right. Yeah. Uh, but still, still a talented guy, more Dude. talented than, than the way people talk about him. Right. right talk about right. him being lowly recruited and uh, not really. Like he also had offers from, Mississippi State and Ole Miss and Notre Dame and Oregon and Tennessee. So a lot of real schools recruiting him. He is not, as a recruit, he is, you know, not like Stetson Bennett level walk-on kind of, you know, underdog story. And that's how he's made to sound, which is not accurate. Yeah, which is weird. And and also, he was a guy that was a four-sport guy in high school. Wow. He wasn't like a – He wasn't a football-only you know, quarterback guru, all seven on seven, all time quarterback camps, like finished product in high school. He was playing a lot of sports. So like, for example, two, four, seven, I think had him as like the number one twenty five player in the nation, which was way, 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 way higher than everybody else. Mm. But they value measurables and playing a lot of sports in high school and things like that and factor that in. So they look at a guy and say, well, he's just okay right now. But once he's, drops the other three sports like we think he's gonna be really good so they include that a lot and well their ranking in this case turned out to be more accurate mm-hmm. um, he's 6'2 210 in high school his numbers you know the official numbers 458 in the 40 wow 403 shuttle 34 inch vertical so he's an actual good athlete like, dude that's, that shuttle time is stupid good oh my yes, gosh that, that shuttle time is like defensive back shuttle time. yes oh my yeah. goodness and so he's 6'2 210 for a comparison just a physical athleticism comparison caleb williams 6'1 210 4 5 7 40 4 1 2 shuttle wow. 36 inch vertical so like on paper coming out of high school max duggan and caleb williams are like the same level of athlete 
if it wasn't for his melanin and his hair color, I think people might have a little different perspective on him. <laughs> yeah, the hair color is doing him no favors. That's for sure. Also, he played high school football in Iowa. Yeah, yeah. Iowa is not a big, you know, no, football no, state. No, it's you're, not. You're, it's going to be almost impossible to get too much coverage and too much hype, you know, in Iowa. He also playing for sports, not a guy that's going to go to a whole lot of camps. So, like, yeah. you know, he has all the – a lot of the telltale things where it's like, oh yeah, this is how a guy gets a little bit underrated. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so yeah, very good athlete. He's listed at 210. He runs the ball like he's 225. He I, sure I, does. He runs like he thinks he's 245, but I think he <laughs> actually runs like he's 225. Yeah. Uh yeah, very physical running the ball, but actually has good speed and good quickness too. Um, as a passer, it's perfectly fine passer I, th- I think as a passer yeah. it's not like yeah. oh wow like look at you know this cannon or look at his uncanny accuracy i haven't felt any of that i don't like study there sticks out at you as the like wow this guy's a good athlete and wow this guy's a competitor you know he's very much a he got that dog in him that's th- that's it because first of all like try to prepare for this looking at tcu they're the most schizophrenic team ever and max duggan's numbers reflect that there are games like I think in like there are games where Max Duggan goes eleven to twenty one, throws for one touchdown and one interception, and they won by by two touchdowns. And there's games where he played great, had like eighty completions, and they won in overtime. I'm just like they, they they make no sense, Scott. There's games that I looked at like the um the Oklahoma State game. They outgained Oklahoma State like 150 yards. They only had one turnover, and yet that game went into overtime. And it makes no sense why. <laughs> it makes no sense why. And then, like I said, I look at another game, and they get outgained by 100 yards, and they won by two touchdowns. Like, it's just (laughs) – this team makes no sense. And Duggan's numbers in big games aren't good. I think he was right around 50% completions against Michigan. Like, his numbers in the uh, Big 12 championship, he was right around 50%. He didn't – but he makes plays. He has the thing that Stetson Bennett has, which you can't teach, and it's called the clutch gene. They have it. And when guys have it, you never count them out, especially when they have comparable talent to the teams they're playing. Yep. And it's going to be a shame that he has to go home empty handed. <laughs> Scott, give me your prediction for this game as we wrap up here. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I think I'll stick with something like a, uh, you know, 2017 ish score at the half. And then probably something that turns into more of like a, I don't know, 35 24 kind of final so you're right along line with the spread the spread is a uh, i think 61 and a half over under it's right around the same as it was for the semifinal game with a 13 half point spread right now so you're talking about a game that projects to like 37 24 something around there i i think they're going to score more than that yeah, I think, yeah you know when i said it i'm like uh i'd probably add like a field goal to each team's on yeah. that and maybe say more like 38 27 yeah that's what i'm it, thinking 30 maybe it, even 40 it could to- always go higher it could always be a even if it plays out sort of the way I'm thinking, it could always be like a 42-30 kind of game. Yeah. Kind of yeah, about what I was I was expecting for Ohio State. It could be like that, but I'll probably say more like 38-27, something like that. And so when I look at this game real quickly, advantages for UGA, line of scrimmage, both sides of the ball, advantage. Um, quarterback, dude, I'm not sure it's not a push, man. <laughs> like 
That dude is that dude has the same clutch gene that Stetson has. I'm not so sure that's a put. That's not a push. Skill positions, I'll favor Georgia slightly just because I think we have more depth at them. Like, I don't see a lot of difference between Kendra Miller and Kenny McIntosh. Um, Quentin Johnson's better than any wide receiver we have, but I think we have more good ones or more solid ones. But it's probably comparable. Secondary, I give an advantage to them. Front seven, us by a mile. It's not even close. Yeah, and I think it's just one of the the depth things. And, you know, I'll be curious to see whose secondary is better. Yeah. You know, our secondary has been pretty good most of the year. Mm -hmm. We're good at safety. Yeah, and, you know, the times we've had trouble is a a little bit against LSU receivers and against Ohio State receivers. I'm not quite sure if Quinn Johnson will give us – as much trouble there. Yeah, I don't know either. Um, I really don't. So I don't know. But but yeah, I mean, they're still a really good group. And I don't think that, you know, we're gonna just shut them down. Like they're gonna make some plays. Even if Johnson doesn't, that you know, the other two speed guys, you know, they'll make one or two or three plays where you get one missed tackle or one step out of position and they get a big chunk play. Hopefully a chunk play that then turns into a field goal attempt or something instead of one yeah. that leads to a touchdown. But Yeah. And so, Scott, as we wrap up here, I think we are both in agreement, and Dr. J was also that a week from now, we expect to be at halftime on our way to ho- hoisting our second straight national championship trophy. With Stetson Bennett riding off into the sunset as the GOAT of UJ quarterbacks, if not all UJ players. He will be the true Rudy. <laughs> the, the Rudy that was promised. This has been Dave Bethay and Scott, the Status Assassin for the Title Run Sports Podcast. Scott, to the people, adios. If you want to be the champ, you got to beat the champ. And good luck with that. That's it for today. Thank you for listening.